I'm Mark Golub, and in the news, the ongoing uncertainty and a feeling of chaos within the Israeli political system. Since April of 2019, the Israeli people have gone to the polls in national elections no fewer than four times in an effort to elect leaders who could create a coalition government with some staying power. Now, I know most of you understand that the Israeli government, unlike the American government, is a parliamentary democracy. The Israeli parliament, the Knesset, has 120 seats, which means that either one party or a coalition of Israeli parties must be comprised of no fewer than 61 members in the 120-seat parliament. And since there are many parties in Israeli politics, no party tends to win 61 or more seats on their own, and a coalition of parties is the Israeli political norm. But over the past few years, no coalition government has been able to endure. And so this coming November, Israelis will go to the polls for a fifth time in the course of a few years. And once again, the vote will hinge to a large degree on the personality of Benjamin Netanyahu, who remains a larger-than-life politician who is hated by many of the Israeli people and who is under legal indictment on charges of bribery, among other things. And yet, Mr. Netanyahu has the support of a large sector of the Israeli electorate who believe, despite his faults, there is no one better or stronger than Bibi Netanyahu to keep the state of Israel safe and prosperous. Now, in the fourth Israeli election, Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett agreed to share power in a coalition government, which ultimately fell apart when members of the Bennett group decided to leave the coalition. And so now the Israeli people gear up for yet another round of national elections in November. Now, what's really going on here? Is the Israeli political system broken? Why have four rounds of elections failed to create a viable coalition government? And what's the likelihood that this fifth round of elections will be any more successful? And what about Bibi, who was not part of the last coalition government? Is he likely to survive this November's elections? Well, for some answers, I am thrilled to be joined in the studio by an Israeli who knows as much as anyone in the American Jewish community about the Israeli political scene. And I'm proud to say he is JBS's senior vice president and a face you see often if you're a regular viewer of JBS. Shachar Azani. Shachar, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Israeli politics. And thank you for the wonderful work you've done on air and off for JBS and the JBS family. Thank you so much. Mark, before we dive into the Israeli elections, as I love doing with no one other than you is the best way, <laughs> I just want to say what a great pleasure, privilege, and joy 
it is to sit with you here in our studios in Times Square and have this interview with you. Thank you. That's very, very sweet of you. Uh, thank you for saying that. And let me take a moment. This is such a personal joy for me to be back on JBS after a prolonged illness of roughly two years. And my recovery is nothing short of a minor miracle. And so many of you who watch JBS and are a part of the JBS family and who care about me and my well-being, please know your emails and your letters and expressions of concern and your prayers, and many of you included me in your Mishberach list on a weekly or even daily basis. Thank you, Mort. And thank you, Ellen, for your constant expressions of love and your best wishes for my complete recovery. And thank you, Tikva and Naomi and Anne and Abe and Elise and Jenna and Jerry in Philadelphia. And I could go on and on and on thanking each and every one of you. And I think I may have told you before, it's very lonely and somewhat frightening to be in a hospital for a long time, even to be home recuperating. And sadly, I know that many of you have had similar experiences, and I'm so sorry for any pain you may have endured or someone in your family may have endured. And I wish all of you, any of you with health issues, a refuah shlema, complete recovery. And I hope, as I had, you have wonderful doctors and a loving and supportive family. And I'm sure you can understand how important and enormous COVID I give to you for helping to make a miracle for me. And I love you all very, very much. Okay, Jakar, thank you for letting me say that. Let's talk about Israeli politics. And first question is, why did? Tell us why. I mean, American Jews see the political system in Israel, but from a far distance. We have enough trouble understanding American politics. Right. Why did Yair Lapid and Bennett, why did their coalition fail? Well, first of all, um, you have to understand the nature of that coalition. Please. It was a very diverse coalition, Mark. You had people in that coalition from the progressive left-wing party of Meretz, whose positions on Palestinians and so-called occupation are well known. And in the very same coalition, you had people belonging to the Yamina party under Bennett, who come from the religious Zionist movement, not to mention the uh, post-Likud Gidon Saar, who has people in his party like Ze'ev Elkin, bent on expansion of settlements and building Jewish presence in, the, in Judea and Samaria. So this was a very fragile coalition. Mm -hmm. who was dependent on each and every vote, and I didn't even mention to you that for the first time ever in Israeli politics, you had an Arab party, part of the idea of the Islamic movement, the uh, United Arab List under Mansour Abbas, in that very same coalition. So it was kind of a weird and yet very exciting concoction. Why did it fail? At the end of the day, the wall started falling apart within, as you mentioned in your introduction, Bennett's party itself. And I think the main individual in this regard was a person by the name of Edith Silman, who used to be the chief whip 
of the coalition. She was one of the leading members in Bennett's party. And at some point, a few months ago, in an argument with the Progressive Merits Party, discussing the uh, allowing chametz during Pesach, you know, the unleavened bread, to br bring it into the hospitals. And there was a big debate about this, whether it should be enforced, not enforced for Passover. And she chose that as her exit point and decided to quit the coalition, saying that I can't stand it anymore in, in this environment that doesn't coincide with my values. And her departure, remember, in a very fragile and narrow coalition, every vote counts, especially that of the chief whip. I'll also mention that Netanyahu's opposition and the entire opposition party exerted immense pressure on these individuals within the Yamina party under Bennett because they knew they were the ones closest to the opposition in their, in their outlook on politics and the world. And therefore, you would see demonstrations in front, of, in front of their homes, people coming to their shuls on Shabbat to exert pressure, incredible pressure. Mm -hmm. She personally sustained a lot of pressure. And at the end of the day, her departure marked the fall because others followed. Mm -hmm. All right, two questions immediately spring to mind. Number one, talk about Netanyahu for a moment. And, you know, we've had conversations both on air and off air. And the question has always been, has, it, has there been enough Netanyahu? And I mentioned in the open that he is a very controversial figure. He's both disliked, seriously disliked, right. and yet adored. people get to, and adored. And people keep voting for him right. over and over again. Right. And the question became, if he wasn't going to be part of a coalition government, as he wasn't with Lapid and Bennett, what would that mean for him and his political future? Did you think it was done, or did you have a sense that he is still going to rise again like the phoenix? He is an incredible surprise in this, or not really. In a way, to see him is to look at a 16-year-old politician in a 70-something-year-old man. His energy, drive, and passion for the position is downright incredible. I'll mention to you that many people believe that his career was over when the new government was established, mm -hmm. the, what we called the change government. There was a belief, maybe wishful thinking, maybe hope, that he's going to be ousted from within Likud. Because mark this, this is a very interesting point, Mark. Take Netanyahu for a minute and remove him from the equation, and you have a cohesive, homogenic coalition of the center-center-right parties in Israel of over 80 members of Knesset, of which not only Likud is a part, but is a leader. The only bone of contention at the moment is Netanyahu's mm -hmm. very presence mm -hmm. as part of Likud. On his part, the Likud voters or his supporters would say, you cannot dictate to us who is going to be our leader. We want Netanyahu to be our leader. I'll also mention one very important element here. Netanyahu did establish a coalition government with Benny Gantz after the third election, and it was uh, March of 2020, COVID just entered the scene, there was a call for a state of emergency, and Benny Gantz, contrary to all of his promises to his electorate, decides to go with Netanyahu and says, we all have to be part of this national effort. The way it ended was Netanyahu evased, trying to evade his agreement with Benny Gantz by not passing a budget and thus bringing about the toppling of the third government. That behavior, 
towards Benny Gantz is very well remembered. And that, that's why Netanyahu's partners on, outside of his bloc, the ultra-Orthodox and the ultra-right, are not keen on signing an agreement with Netanyahu after what he has done so publicly to Benny Gantz. Mm -hmm. You know, when Netanyahu speaks today, he speaks as if he's still prime minister and as if he is still the leader of the government and he takes enormous credit for the years he spent as the head of finance and he takes credit for the uh, success of the Israeli economy and then again Shachar when you hear him talk he talks as if nothing's changed for him. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do. People thought he would be depressed, despondent, yes, yes. after not being prime minister, being head of opposition. And you know what he's done? He took the last few months while being head of opposition to write his memoirs. And the, the book is supposed to be out in the next uh, few weeks, uh, both in English and in Hebrew. And I'm told that he wrote it himself, handwritten wow. on a piece of paper, wow. both a Hebrew version meant for the Israeli audience and Hebrew speakers, and an English version with the necessary adjustments for the international public. Well, isn't that impressive? impressive? It is. Very impressive. Give credit where credit is due. Absolutely. But I, I'll say, you know, when you're talking about Netanyahu, People view as this coming election, number five, as his to be or not to be mm -hmm, election. Mm -hmm. Because what happened in the course of the change government's rule was that one of the major partners of Netanyahu's bloc, the ultra-Orthodox, have been out of power. That really hit them hard on a variety of issues, from dealing with Kashrut, to reform in the cellular communication market, to budgeting their needs and allocations. And I don't think, and many people are out there who don't believe that the ultra-Orthodox will allow themselves to stay out of power for yet another term because they have a, 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 an obligation towards their own constituents. So in, in some people's view, it's going to be as follows. If Netanyahu is able to deliver in this coming fifth round of elections a coalition, they're with him. But if he is unable to do so, for the fifth time in a row to create a stable government, some people see this as his way out. Because there was an interview even this morning by the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox leader who said, Gantz is a brother, we have no problem sitting with him in a, in a national unity government. Of course, immediately retracting it, saying <laughs> he was misunderstood. Yes. But we all know what elections are. Yeah, all right. Well, it's unfair to you, but who cares? Well, in your mind, is Netanyahu likely to survive this fifth round, or is this his exit? Well, all estimates are that Netanyahu will be able to gain a narrow majority in this coming election. Um, and it's very interesting, that game. Because when we look at Netanyahu, I also want us to take a look at the Arab voters in Israel. Many eons ago, before the earth was in its place, what we <laughs> call this first and second round of elections, the Arabs came together in this joint list. And at their peak mark, they got 15 seats in the Knesset out of 120. 15! That's a significant number. Mm -hmm. But once the elections continued, they, uh, you know, the United Arab List, led by Mansour Abbas, parted ways from the joint list and decided it's going to go its own path, by the way, focusing on the welfare of Israeli Arab citizens, quite the move by Mansour Abbas, and a very courageous one. But at the same time, the joint list remained in its place, continued to be contrarian to anything and everything Zionist and the Jewish state of Israel, positioning herself as such. 
Now, Mark, there is another talk of yet another separation within the joint list. Not only is Mansour Abbas Islamic movement parted ways, now the other part of the joint Arab list, which is mainly an anti-Zionist, a state of all of its citizen faction called Balad, is saying, you know what? We have focused on Netanyahu long enough. That's not the issue. Of course, they don't love him, but they don't care. We need to focus on occupation, they say. And if they part ways and some of the votes get lost within the Arab sector, usually there is a mirror image between Netanyahu's block and Arab votes. The more Arabs vote, the less Netanyahu is likely to gain his majority. The less they vote, or if some of the parties they vote for don't pass the threshold, the more chances he has at establishing his block. So right now it seems that he's going to get a very narrow majority, potentially. He's hoping for even 63-64, but it remains to be seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, the other issue that springs to mind it is almost inconceivable to me okay. that a coalition government in Israel included Arab, Arab representatives of the United Arab who are who speak about the destruction of Israel. On the one hand, it says something beautiful about Israel, that Israel could have this in its parliament. At the same time, I want you to talk about how do Israelis feel, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about far leftists, I'm talking about mainstream Israelis. How do they feel about the fact that a coalition government that was running in the state of Israel, whether it was for months or it doesn't matter, included an Arab United Party, which its position is there shouldn't be a state of Israel. That, as far as they're concerned, it should be a Palestinian state from the river to the sea. And uh, yeah, I guess I would ask you also, how did you feel? These, this is a significant change. And I, you know, at one point, none of us thought Arabs would be included in a coalition government. And lo and behold, they were. Now, it didn't work out, but speak to what it meant and how Israelis felt about it and you know, where you see it going now. Well, you see, let's talk for a minute about United Arab List and Mansour Abbas. He has never claimed outspokenly of his resistance to the existence of Israel. He, has, he personally has continuously stated as the first Arab leader to have done so, an Arab politician within Israel, that he understands and accepts Israel-Jewish nature, that he's going to focus on the welfare of Israeli Arab citizens. And you know, the person, you're right, it was inconceivable only uh, two years ago, but the person who opened the door to that partnership, which in my opinion is a fascinating and has very great potential, was none other than head of the opposition, former prime minister, and potentially future prime minister, one Benjamin Netanyahu. It was Benjamin... He was responsible for it this? It was Benjamin Netanyahu who I still remember the whispers in the Israeli Knesset when suddenly the Prime Minister at the time, Mr. Netanyahu, makes an appearance in the Knesset committee dealing with crimes within the Arab sector, chaired by Mansour Abbas. And suddenly, eyebrows were raised. What's happening here? Is there a connection made between Mansour Abbas and Prime Minister Netanyahu? And then in addition, you see Netanyahu on the campaign trail, campaigning as Likud within Arab municipalities, saying, as Abu Yair, 
I come to you with a great news of partnership and it's important that we work together. He was the one who opened the door. I'll remind you that before that happened, there was an idea for Benny Gantz and Blue and White Party to collaborate with a joint Arab list, not Mansour Abbas, with the whole group and that idea was inconceivable. How can you ever have a coalition with an Arab party? And Mansour Abbas proved to be not just a, 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 a fascinating politician but also one of the most loyal members of that coalition. I'll give you an example that's going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, Israel has legally a state of emergency. It means that some rules are in effect until they're changed. That means that when it comes to Judea and Samaria, in order to enact Israeli law without sovereignty, we have to extend legislation every five years. Every coalition government did it with the agreement of the opposition because that was the responsible thing to do. Once it's not extended, it becomes lawless land, which makes it very difficult for Israel's security. Under this coalition government, when the proposal was brought to the Knesset, guess who objected? The opposition, headed by the right and Netanyahu, who said, we're not going to vote in favor of this. It comes from the coalition, said, but it's got nothing to do with the coalition. Who fought to pass this legislation? Mansour Abbas and the ultra-left-wing party of Meretz. Who was against it? The right-wing parties and Likud and the religious Zionists. All for political reasons. It's amazing. So you're right in the sense that this is a very different, very strange scenario. I'll tell you that even after he opened the door to him, once Mansour Abbas became part of the change coalition, the attacks started coming from the right. Now it became illegitimate to have an Arab partner. Now the claims were made, how can you play ball with people who support terror? Even though the same discussions were conducted beforehand mm -hmm. by Netanyahu. And in, in conclusion, I'll just say this. In my opinion, as the Islamic movement and being a very traditional Arab politician, it would be much more convenient for Mansour Abbas to have been part of a right-wing coalition than it was for him to be part of this coalition, which is why, don't rule it out, once past this election, if Mansour Abbas is going to be reached uh, by Netanyahu for a potential partnership. If it doesn't work, it's not going to be because of Netanyahu. Okay. Mansour Abbas, is he part of the Muslim Brotherhood? The United Arab List adheres to the Muslim Brotherhood principles, yes. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood is... You know, virulently anti-Israeli. Right. So how does Mansour Abbas fit in both of those camps? Right. Um, in many ways, the Muslim Brotherhood factions in Israel differ between the northern wing and the southern wing. The northern wing is the vehemently anti-Israel, terror-active, out outlawed party that was taken out of the game. The southern wing, which is Mansour Abbas, said, yeah, there are those general principles, but we live where we live and we have to acknowledge we are. There are more practical Muslim Brotherhood approach. Even though Mansour Abbas himself, even though personally, has made beautiful statements over the years when there was an attack on a, on a shul in the city of Lod, the mixed city, he came there. You know, in one of the most memorable debates in the Knesset, when the budget was debated, I don't know how many of our viewers will remember, but there were issues, a lot of problems for the ultra orthodox and it was Mansour Abbas sitting in his seat as the managing the session as the speaker of the Knesset at the time 
Um, they're talking about passing the budget, and the representative of the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox faction, Rabbi Gafni, speaks of the plight of the Haredi communities, and he reaches his 10-minute limit, and he has more to say. And Mansour Abbas says, allow Rabbi Gafni to speak. I give him permission until he finishes his speech. And after 20 minutes, he gets off the podium, and Mansour Abbas says as follows, Rabbi, we shouldn't be on opposite sides of the, uh, of the coalition and opposition. We have similar interests. We need to work for underprivileged communities in Israel. That should never happen again. So allow me to say this. The specific budgetary allocation that the United Arab List gets, I want to give a hundred million to Haredi communities who are in need because it's not my money, Abbas says, it's the state's money and we should provide for the welfare of everyone. For political reasons they didn't take it, but very interesting statement. It's fascinating. Fascinating. By the way, one would not have believed it if it didn't happen. Yep. It's a good thing I saved the video. Yeah. Good for you. What are the issues, the main issues, that will be up front and center in this fifth round? Well, there are actually two main issues. One is Benjamin, and the second is Netanyahu. <laughs> no discussion of issues. You know, just today, 200 young uh, doctors in Israel quit because of the terms of their employment. The school year is n probably is not going to open because of um, a strike planned by the teachers. The uh, Israeli agricultural sphere is going through incredible reform that is going to change the face of the entire industry. But the Israeli public has one thing on their mind for this election, and is it, are you? in favor of Netanyahu becoming premier again, or are you against him? Amazing. 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 This guy has amazing staying power. Amazing staying power. Amazing staying power. And think about this, Bennett, who, who was prime minister until recently, and now remained as alternative prime minister, next to Yair Lapid, has completely vanished from the arena. Vanished? Vanished. You can't even hear. He doesn't even speak. He has decided not to. Why? I ask myself, and I, I honestly ask him, if, why? What happened? It's Netanyahu's unbelievable stamina. We always said, you know how the saying goes that some people have the skin of an elephant? So now the saying about Netanyahu is an elephant in Africa might have the skin of a bibi. <laughs> Good for him. That was a wonderful picture that you've drawn for us. And I'll say it again, American Jews normally don't understand what's going on. It is so wonderful to have you next to me. And you have a you're an you have a talent for making complicated things understandable. So I thank you, my friend. Love you very Welcome much. Welcome back, Mark, and we love you. Thank May you. we do thank it many more times in Absolutely. the future. Absolutely. So there you have it. I hope Shachar's explanation of the Israeli political scene has given you a deeper understanding of the importance of Israel's fifth round of elections this November. My thanks, as always, to JBS's brilliant director, Sloan Copeland. Thanks also to production coordinator, Michael Paley. In the control room, thanks to the newest member of the JBS family, Vlada Kalinitskia. And of course, very special thanks to our Cracker Jack senior producer, Carol Lilienthal. And happy, happy birthday, Carol, and many, many more. And so until the next time, I'm Mark Golub. Be well, my friends.